time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, friends, and welcome back to The Right Conversations. Today, we are talking to a very, very, very special and talented and brilliant human being um, who I know through the sex world, Um, and we'll get a little more into that. But today, we are having a conversation about being a sex worker and producing sex parties with Goddess Jem. Jem, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm so excited this is finally happening. I know it's been a long, a long time coming. We talked about it for a while back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just a little bit. Four big things happened. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. So for anyone who doesn't know you or who hasn't checked out your your stuff before listening to this, will you share who you are, what you do, what lights you up, all that, all that good stuff? Absolutely. So I go by a goddess gem or gem to my friends. Um, to my subs, I might go by the goddess, Gemini. Um, I'm a pro-dom. I am a BDSM lifestyler and educator. I'm a poly person. I am queer. And I also produce sex parties. That's so cool. Okay, so I'm like two, I know. It's like, I want to talk about all of them right now. Um, all right, so let's start with sex work stuff. Um, I know that for a lot of people listening, they probably have heard me talk about sex work and destigmatizing sex work and how it should be decriminalized. Like they've heard a lot about it, but I don't, we haven't had an actual conversation on the podcast or on social or any platform about what it is and isn't and with someone who is doing it. Um, so with that, where do you want to start? Well, thank you for talking about it. And thank you for inviting me here. It's a bit of a crossover to the vanilla world. It's actually a little scary. Mm. Um, where would I like to start with it? You know, I think an interesting story is that some people might be invested in is like, how do you get to there? Mm. Um, I And like, how do you transition into doing this type of work if it's not something that you started with? I mean, I can't, I cannot speak to people who started out like didn't have a different career before and just started out that way um but i was in the nine to five corporate world beforehand and to transition into doing this work i i I started out just being in the kink lifestyle um as soon as i learned about it i was immediately hooked what Um, hooked you in i think just i was searching for a way to connect to people more you know Mm -hmm. i moved to the city after college i was working um, trying to find my group and the thing, like you said, that lit me up. Um, and I was struggling to do that, but I was in a wonderful relationship and we kind of converged where we both realized that we were interested in it, mm-hmm. um, after about a year of being together. And as soon as we understood like what, uh, BDSM dynamic was, we were like, Oh, that, 
that is us. Like it was something that was present before we really had words for it. And then getting our first like kink was getting into shibari, into rope bondage. Um, and as soon as we started to attend events, we were like, wow, this is so fun. We're meeting people who we feel comfortable with. Um, and we're doing something that we love, which is, like I said, it had been hard for me to find something that lit me up in the same way. So soon after I started to share the, um, the art that I was doing, the, the rope bondage uh, online. And immediately I started to realize, oh, I can make money off of this. And this was like pre-OnlyFans. This is like 2018 or so. Ahead of the curve. Seriously. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I think yeah. I was catching a wave that was just, just beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you started trying to make money with it online and that was kind of the, the entrance for you? I feel like it wasn't even trying to make money. It was trying to uh, fund what I was doing already. <laughs> you know, it's not. Yeah. It's not free to do BDSM a lot of the time, <laughs> especially right. with rope and, and creating content, photography, all that stuff that costs money. So I was really just covering my expenses at first. But meanwhile, I was really getting into the lifestyle and, and feeling comfortable with myself for basically the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and as I continued on, I had a career in uh, fundraising in nonprofit. Um, I had gone to school for that. I have lots of student loan debt for that. <laughs> Um, but I was just getting more and more like, I, I don't want to, I was feeling like I was living this double life, you know, mm. and I was not really thriving in this nine to five environment. Um, it was very difficult for me to live with the hierarchy of it. And it, it, this was a long process to the point where I was kind of miserable, I would say. Um, and Sometimes once I, it takes that to get us it's to, like, yeah. to like, because I had so many fears. I was like, am I going to be able to make enough money off of this? How is my family going to react if I get outed? Um, which is something that happened recently, by the way. Um, that we really? That later. Yeah. Um, and I had a ton of fears. I would say that like the anxiety that I had about work was almost equal to the anxiety I had about leaving my life behind and doing this. And I was also like, how? How would I do that? Um, I don't know if you'd like me to speak to how I did that. I would, I would love that. I, I mean, it, it sounds like you knew what lit you up. You knew the step you needed to take, but it was so scary. Like both options were, were anxiety inducing. Were, exactly. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> cool. I'm <laughs> fucked if I stay and I'm terrified if I leave. I mean, the stigma, that's really what was on me. At and that point, what was the stigma in your mind? Like, what were the thoughts? I was like, what if I fail at this and then I can never go back because I was judged for being a sex worker. You have, you know, you have this empty thing on your resume, which is so unfair because I've done more work than I ever have in my life doing this <laughs> um, and used so many of the skills that I picked up from, you know, being professional. Yeah. With, so it was my fear that I would fail and then there'd be nothing underneath me. And also, um, I come from a relatively religious background. Um, my parents are, I don't want to speak to specifics necessarily, but yeah, um, they're devoted to their congregation, their synagogue was raised Jewish. Um, and I was, I'd already, I would say a big theme of my life is like feeling shame around my sexuality. 
Um, and, you know, I didn't feel like I really grew up in an environment that was open or accepting of any of that. So I had big fear of how my family would react and for them to find out. And one thing that you have to accept being a sex worker who's spaced out on the internet marketing themselves, which you usually have to be, is that you're going to get out at a certain point. Like you cannot protect yourself if that's what you're doing entirely. So Ugh. that's where all the fear came from. And it took me probably up until maybe a year ago to be like, fuck it, this is me. It's like I can feel in my stomach the pit of I want to do this and live my life as myself. Mm -hmm. And also that fear of will the people I love love me? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Okay. So how did, how did you do it? How, how did you leave this corporate world and, and step into this beautiful space? Well, thank you for saying that it's beautiful because not everybody's going to validate that, you know, and I've seen you also kind of have a reflective struggle of like being accepted as a poly person and a bisexual person and, and talking about sex openly when you're like this professional person. Yeah. Um, therapist that talks about sex what weird crazy that we're talking about things instead of (laughs) smile of them um i kind of almost feel like like i said it was a lot of struggle i have an amazing support system in my partner um who always helped me push me helped me create my content um so shout out to my partner maxwell pierce who is also a dom um and God, I could have a whole other podcast talking mm. about our DS dynamic and how that shifted. I shifted from being a sub to being a dom. There was maybe we could do that. That would be really cool, actually. Let's, yeah, yeah. we'll we'll asterisk that and do part two. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of support, and you know, I had both emotional and financial support from them. They said to me, "If this is what you want to do, if you need a little bit of a net, I'm here." Um, mm. Truly, I was just pushed by how rock bottom it felt. I was like, this, I cannot go back. Once I left that job, I could not go back. I said to myself, I'd never want to go back because I felt not respected in that environment. And I just knew at that point that like, that is not where I want to be. So let me do something else. And like I said, I did have support in my partner they are a tattoo artist um, and I'd already been working for the business a little bit before. So we made it a little more formal. So I had like a little bit of extra income. Um, and I, my first job besides like creating content, and like I said, I was like emailing people my pictures. Um, <laughs> I was in a subby kind of position then, um, sort of like a, a vanilla girl almost like creating that type of content, which is a lot easier. Um, and uh, I was like, but I need a job that's going to support this. And I feel extremely grateful that that summer I got hired at Purple Passion, which mm. is a fantastic historical sex shop, um, fetish shop, whatever you want to call it in Chelsea, um, in the city. And I really feel like I manifested that. Like, you know, they, they hired me because they, I talked to them about my kink experience at that point. And, um, while I was working there, uh, a dom came in and she told me that she had just started working. And at that point, I, I kind of was like feeling like 
this sub stuff, like maybe I'm, I'm interested in, in more like what doming is. Mm. <laughs> and I had, I, I hope I can tell this story. I think I can tell this story, which is that um, my partner Max had previously, like maybe a year ago, tattooed a sub, a submissive, who at the order of his mistress, and um, <laughs> he got a tattoo of her. It's fascinating, and and that was like my, of her face, of her body. This is it's it's posted online, so it's fine. Of yeah, her, of her body, and he was depicted as a trash can that she was sitting upon. Oh my God. That's incredible. It was so great. Um, shout out to them. Also, you guys know who you are and you, you really inspired me to pursue femdom because I just thought that was fascinating and awesome and, um, and kind of crazy, which I love. And so I kind of knew I wanted to shift into some femdom space, but I just didn't know how to do it. Like I wanted to do it in person, but like to make that jump from never having done any of that is a risk. You don't know how to do it safely at that point. You need some training. Um, so I was really like open to that. Mm -hmm. And I, like I said, I was lucky enough to come upon a dominatrix named Sloan, who, whom I love and introduced me to where I ended up training um, in, you know, in like a walk-in type of dungeon in Brooklyn. And shout out to the Taylor group. <laughs> Uh, and I worked there up until the pandemic and that's where, so at the same time I was working for passion. I was getting some work from the tattoo stuff. I was making content and I had started to dom and learn how to dom, um, at the dungeon. No worries. I see, I see sneezing. <laughs> I was gonna sneeze and it went away, which is like almost worse than an orgasm running away. Okay. Continue. Come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that was where I was pausing is that I was doing all of that at the same time. And I worked there up until the pandemic, which obviously changed a lot. And, you know, during that time I stopped working for passion. I picked up a job at a salon at one point. I was back to some misery, <laughs> just trying to make ends meet while I yeah. was making dream like happen basically. So for anyone listening who maybe is newer or hasn't learned a lot about power dynamics and all of this. Can you both uh, share what femdom is and also what a dungeon is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is femdom? So it stands for female domination. And this is when traditionally, you know, a woman is, or someone who is femme, we can, we can call that as well, is in the dominant position. So a power exchange relationship is what you would typically see in these BDSM. So hate to make this reference, but if you've seen Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> they have a non-ethical. Yeah. <laughs> or if you've seen The Secretary, same thing. It's it's a power exchange relationship, but not very ethical. Yeah. Um, though it is an excellent movie with James Spader. Do check it out. Just remember that, that that's not ethically done. But um, power exchange relationship is where one person gives up some of their power or all of it as much as you could <laughs> to another person and that could be in a variety of different contexts and uh to different extents um and when you call it femdom that again is traditionally with a woman in charge and you asked about a dungeon yeah um i worked in a commercial dungeon so that's where 
Uh, it's a space where people can come to get dominated for pay. Um, and But a dungeon is generally just a space that BDSM can be conducted and usually there's uh, bondage furniture, there's toys, there's tools. That's where the scenes go down. So like someone could, in theory, if they're listening to this, find someone or find the dungeon and be like, I want XYZ and then go. And instead of having to like purchase all of these giant pieces of furniture for their tiny apartments in Brooklyn, they can go to the dungeon and and have the scene there. That's right. Usually it's not just open to anybody. You can find spaces that are like available for rental for mm -hmm. like couples per se. Um, but usually you're going to be either meeting a professional there or, you know, it might be like somebody's personal space that you go to, like a friend, or they might exist in like the party environment. So when you started working there, how did you start to find clients? Um, I used an ad-based service that is essentially the gold star for um <laughs> if you call if you call dominatrix that i think the general public would um and also social media marketing just like any other business is very important yeah it's possibly outweighed ad um advertisements at this point but i think people who are direct um clients who like really engage in this they do like go on ad sites and it's a really it is a good way for you to start and i i've seen you share my booking a provider article many times mm -hmm. there to like the right way to do that the respectful way to do that yeah if any of you listening um have ever seen during an ama on instagram someone asked like what's the best way to hire a sex worker i always 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 share gems article on this so we'll put that in the show notes too um because it's such a common question and i think that you lay it out so beautifully and how to do it in an ethical way and you know, on, on the client side, I think that it's scary when it's the first time, you know, it's like, what am I doing? Like, and they're going through like their own kind of mental exercise, you know, not dissimilar to what you described in going into it for work. Yeah, there's like, involved and you're like, yes. I'm doing something bad. I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. Like, what if something happens? Um, there's a lot of fear around it. I, I recognize that. Do you see that a lot with the clients that you work with that they're afraid shameful like working through that um i think it is common especially once i see them in person there can be a lot of anxiety um for a first timer i think maybe i've cultivated people who are not that fearful <laughs> um, like i said in my article the first thing at the top is if you're gonna bring me all of your shame i i don't really want that like it's not my job to convince you that this is okay yeah um you can come to me for that and then yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Therapist for that <laughs> yeah um because it makes me feel bad you know and it's 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 yeah. like again i'm not here to convince you to to get my services i'm here to provide the services right Right. The honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. 
Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. Okay, so you're you're learning, you're in this dungeon, and then how did we go from there to where you are now? Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously, there was a big shift around the pandemic. Um, I had been, like I said, at this point, I'd been creating content for about two years. Um, I had been working, you know, in this space, like making real money from it, like from passion and being in the dungeon for about nine months is how long I was at the dungeon. Um, and that really, you know, there's pros and cons to working in a commercial dungeon, but um, the pro is meeting these other people who are at the same place as you and, and gleaning like skills and, and experiences where you do fail. And I would say that if there's anybody listening who is getting into domination, whether it's like professional or, or privately, um, you're going to trip up and not feel like your best dominant self at times. And you just need to take that as like, okay, I'm not going to do that next time. Like, don't be scared. <laughs> but, um, so I got a lot of experiences that way. I was teaching workshops while I was there. So I got to, um, have, you know, get experience that way as well and just get more into the kink lifestyle. But, and I actually gained like a management position there. I was on the board for a while. Um, there's a lot of organization that has to go down to, <laughs> to make these places run. Um, so that was a wonderful experience, had its downsides as well. And then, you know, once March rolled around and the world shutting down, meanwhile, let, let me pause and just say that I had wanted to work for Hacienda before I knew about Hacienda, which for the audience is a sex positive community organization in Brooklyn that has sex parties. We have workshops and we center like polyamorous relationships. Um, it's, it's really wonderful guys. This is where I've done workshops. I go to play parties. I like do the consent talk often there. I, I love, love, love Hacienda and the whole team. They're really spectacular. Yeah, that is how we met. Doing your workshops for us. Um, so I really had wanted to work there. I thought it was really cool and it like lined up with my skills. Um, so I applied there over the, the previous summer when I was working at Purple Passion and, you know, uh, Beth, who is one of the leaders there, she reached out to me and said, uh, we love your resume, but we actually just hired somebody. So we'll just keep you in mind for the future. And so I kind of assumed that was that. But, you know, eight months later, um, she called me up. This was mm, February 2020. And she was like, I, I just lost my assistant. So I would love to have you. And I was like, hell yeah, like get me out of the salon. I would love to. And um, Shortly thereafter, <laughs> the pandemic happened, which was an interesting challenge for um, somebody who's getting hired to work events. Um, I, my position there is marketing and events manager. So uh, interesting challenge. Uh, but again, I was working at the dungeon at that time as well. And I, I was so excited to like get a job that I was excited about and that accepted that part of my work. And actually, they've been yeah. super supportive. Um like how amazing to just go from, <laughs> to go from, I'm working, doing this like nonprofit fundraising to now I'm working at a sex positive organization that is supporting me doing the work that I love outside of this work. Like not only supportive of having another quote, like not quote unquote job, but like self-employment in addition to employment and like 
I, it's it just must have felt so good and affirming. I am extremely grateful, like so much to them, and and just to have that. To like I said, it's been a whole journey. I never want to represent things as like, oh, this was easy, or like you should just do it. It's not easy, and I am privileged and lucky, and I had some, some like level of support for doing this. Um, but yeah, at that time, I was just starting up that job there, um, and I cut. I had known that like this was a growth opportunity for me. Um, so like all like the little pieces of work I was doing, I was like, I kind of feel like this is what I want to be doing. Um, and, and I was using a lot of the skills that I, I, I had worked events and membership in my previous like fundraising job. So it, it made so much sense. It just crossed over. But so there was this big like wall that we call COVID (laughs) and the lockdown. And, um, I, I'd already been experiencing like some relational drama, like working at the dungeon, which is very common. Um, and that I didn't, I, I was thinking about going out on my own at that point, cause I had some skills. Like there's a difference between being a, a in-house Dom and an independent Dom. And um, because they help you get the clients and then mm. being independent means you're doing everything on your own pretty much. Um, but when the pandemic happened, I was like, I simply for my safety cannot be here. And then it shuts yeah. down. So I had really no option but to shift like everything I was doing. Um, and it was terrifying, but actually the clients were very generous at that time because they knew like how hard things were. Yeah. Um, so really I subsisted off of my fin subs and my content creation for that time. And I was starting to work for Hacienda, but my hours were cut greatly um, just because of the fact that we're events-based, right? Yeah, but I am massively proud of what we were able to do with that and how much we've grown since that has been incredible because we never knew like what the bounce back would be like you you remember there was just such a long time where everything was just in limbo and we were all trying to have a semblance of a life and we never knew what would happen when life back to normal. Right. right. It was like, will people show up? Okay, we can schedule this. Oh, wait, now there's an alert. Nope, now we're not supposed to be. Nope, now we can schedule. Okay, now that, that like, and then the should we require tests? Should we require vaccines? Do you do the <laughs> test there? Like, do, uh, like, I can't, it's a logistical and, and frankly, like it happened again then with monkeypox. It's like mm-hmm. anything That's that. Scar from the Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get that. But you know, I'm really proud of what we were able to do. We actually hosted a couple of virtual sex parties. We were like, we were trying to provide value for people, even though they couldn't have the same thing as we had before, because our community is not just about sex. It's about community. It's about being around people who are like-minded. So we all needed that during the time. We actually had a WhatsApp group at first where we all would send nudes to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then we had some virtual sex parties. And this is sort of the time where we were like, well, we can focus on education because this is a way we can deliver this like over the internet. Um, and we were really able to grow that aspect of the business. And I felt like I had um, like a real purpose in doing this. And like, I felt that they really empowered me. Uh, Beth really empowered me to like take charge of that. And I'm just proud of what we were able to do with that time. So let's actually, this is a great time to, to pivot into this. The producing sex parties piece of your career. Tell us about it. What does that entail? And for anyone who hasn't ever attended a sex party, like 
let's make this as uh, explain it like I'm five as as possible. I would love to. Um, well, I will just say that I started out as a marketing manager, so I was doing everything from home. I was doing the logistics of like um, selling tickets and stuff for uh, once once we reopened for those parties, and I was volunteering at the parties, but I did not have a producer role at the time. Um, it was what was last year, 2022, April, 2022, I was asked to produce my first party. Um, because Beth had been doing it for a while and she needed some help. So she encouraged me to do that. And you asked me what it entails. What, what does the job entail? What does it entail to produce a sex party? Like, what does that even mean? Um, so our process and I, Again, I am grateful for the fact that Hacienda has given me this sort of template and they, you know, they have a space. So that is like a really key thing in having a great party is knowing where you're going to have it and, and what that environment looks like. Um, Hacienda Villa in, in Brooklyn is a gorgeous space that I have access to and I love to provide access to many others. Um, so we have that. So we're starting with that and then we have our audience people who want to come to these parties, sexy people who want to come to these parties and they're vetted people. So these are people who have applied for membership of our organization. Um, so we have that. And, and can then, I pause you there? What does that look like? I, I think that for a lot of people, um, I, I know for a lot of people based on both conversations I've had with clients and friends and uh, the vetting process of who's in the room can be one of the things that is asked and and is a potential barrier, um, even if just mental, right? Of like, how do I know it's safe? Um, mm -hmm. So what does a vetting process mean to you? Um, a vetting process can mean a lot of things. And I'm just gonna speak to how we vet for membership. Yeah. 90% um, of the time a sponsor is required. So that means somebody in our community has to vouch for you already. And we are, Hacienda, I can't speak entirely to their history, like detail to detail, but I know they've been around for like a decade. So we've had a good growth um, in that time. So you have to know somebody in the community. We also have a, a mentor program for people of color and for gender nonconforming people. Um, that's led by Baron Fifi, who you know. And so you can also, so if you don't know someone in the community and you're, you're of those identities, we can have somebody mentor you as well, which means that somebody from in our community will basically be your uh, like pal, basically at a party and, and they'll kind of vet you that way um, along with your application. So your application, you go on our website and you're going to put in their name, obviously a photo of yourself, um, your sponsor and your relationship to the lifestyle. Like what, what is the reason that you want to be here? Um, and then like a lot of people will apply like with their partners, which can help. Um, but yeah, having a good reference from our community is good. And like, yes, we are screening for appearance as well, but we are not the type of organization who we expect everybody in the room to be models. Like this is right. for real. Um, and you're going to be attracted to every single person in the room, but we're, we're getting the sexy, cool, interesting people in the room. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so continue, continue. Um, well, that's how I would answer that. Um, I think I can hop back to how I'm yeah. doing. 
Um, so like I said, we're a member organization. So I have a wonderful pool of people to pull from to create a staff and volunteer list because people ask me, how do I do this? Um, it is, you've been to a party, you know, that there are so many moving pieces and it's a, a fast paced situation. Um, I am the captain and the crew makes everything work. I'm just a person that is guiding everyone. Mm -hmm. So I create a team of people. My main job is to create this team of people who is going to help me do this. And, you know, at Hacienda, we're very serious that we, about creating these experiences. So we have a good team that includes like consent greeters. We have orientation leaders like yourself, people who, you know, guide people in knowing how to be there. Um, we have bartenders, we have guardians who are people who will be in the play spaces, making sure everything is safe. So I get all of those people in the room together as a team. Um, that is the biggest portion of what I do, I would say. And I, all of those people report to me on the night of if they don't know what they're doing, but a lot of times everybody knows what they're doing and that's what makes it work. Um, yeah. and then you know, there's obviously the logistics of creating our parties. Um, that's going to be the decorations. It's going to be the DJ. It's going to be performances because we often have performance at our Hacienda Presents party, which is like our biggest like member party monthly. Um, there are other producers at Hacienda. Shout out to you guys. Um, I produce the Hacienda Presents party. Um, what else is happening there? Like, yeah, I was saying that performances are happening. So I'm putting, helping put together all those details like at home behind the scenes beforehand. And then, like I said, I, I round up the troops <laughs> on the day of. So awesome. So, so, okay. I want to kind of, we could talk for a long time. I want to wrap up with yeah. two kind of pins, which is if you could have everyone listening, take away something about sex work and about sex parties. And of course, this is speaking from your experience, like not on behalf of all sex workers or not on behalf of all sex party producers or participants, but from you. One thing in each column that you want people to walk away with. Sure. I know what it is I want to say about sex work, which is um, sex work is work we are doing our jobs and we should be respected like anybody else. Um, you know, one question that people will ask in a well-meaning way, but is actually part of stigma is, are you safe? Mm. It's like a lot of people put their bodies at risk, their bodies and their minds at risk when they work. I, my mental health was horrible working at a nine to five and nobody asked me if I was okay. Right. You know, um, so we're not that different <laughs> and I would love for everybody to know that and, and respect work as work and respect us as professionals, which again is something I speak to in the, in the article that we mentioned. Yeah. Um, as far as sex parties, again, so much I could say um, as a producer and someone who's attended many parties, I want to say that like when I was just an attendee at Hacienda, I had a lot of anxiety. Um, I actually would say that I had both a completely life-changing and triggering experience mm -hmm. um, going to a party. Uh, I 
was walking around. It was like the end of the night. And I, um, I saw this scene happening where like four people were on this one person, like with a vibrator mm-hmm. and they were all like making them orgasm. And they were like yelling, they were like, come louder, come louder. And they were screaming. And I was like, that's dope. But I was like, also like, I don't think I could do that. Like, I'm not that open. Mm. And I was like, fuck, why though? Like, why can't I have that? Mm. And that was a really hard experience for me to have. Um, It actually led me down a whole like road of, of getting diagnosed with my mental health condition. <laughs> um, I, but I thank God for that. Like it was so eye opening to see what it was that I was holding myself back from. Yeah. So, all to say that if you have anxiety, that does not mean you shouldn't be there. Um, it's a learning experience and don't pressure yourself to have the most mind blowing night of your life. The first time you go to one of these, you don't even, you don't have, even have to have sex. Like if you come to the house, the end of party, there's, we provide other things for you to be doing. You know, the photo booth is there. The DJ is there. You know, I've had a tattoo or we've had, we have burlesque, like we're giving you options. Jump in the hot tub. Like you don't need to fuck if you don't want to. Um, And don't feel like you have to. Uh, And, and once you lower the pressure on yourself, you might be able to enjoy more and and then want to come back. And and that's how you meet people and become more comfortable. So thank you. Thank and you for doing this. You're providing like with your orientation, like that sets the standard of like what people can expect and, and how safe they feel in the space. So thanks for being a part of it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's like, it's, I love doing it so much. It's, I remember the very first time I did it and I was so nervous because <laughs> it was the first time that like my quote unquote professional job kind of intersected with my personal life. And I was so Ner- like so nervous it felt so it. <laughs> vulnerable to like stand up there in the outfit that I wore to the party like it was just and it was one of the most freeing nights of my life like it it I felt so much just like lift off of me and like oh we're good everyone's okay like <laughs> this I is- survived <laughs> Thank you for being here. And um, we'll put all of your contact info in in the show notes. But for anybody who is more auditory or can't access show notes, because sometimes I can't find them on podcast apps, where can where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at worship.gem. Um, I can also be found on my website, worshipgem.com. Uh, you can find Hacienda on Instagram at Hacienda Community. And you can also check me out on OnlyFans if that's your thing at Worship Gem. And uh, beautiful. All those links available. Fabulous. Thank you, my dear. Thank you so much. And I'll see you soon. (laughs) Yeah. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.